Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly, sort of, podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is the 22nd of June, 2020, and this is episode 297. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we will send our podcast show notes back and forth for proposal, counterproposal, and endless argument before getting anything done. And we'll also ponder how deep the rabbit hole really goes. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scotty, what are you drinking this week? Uh, Jake, I'm drinking a Magner's Irish Cider. Um, not of my own accord. Um, this is my Michelob Ultra of, uh, of beverages. It was given to me as a Father's Day gift from my mother. Um, she asked me, you know, what do you like to drink? And I said, oh, I don't really mind. Like, I'll drink anything. IPAs, pale ale, ciders. And she heard the last thing that I said, and, and she said, oh, he loves ciders, so I'll go to the store and buy a bunch of weird ciders for him. So next time, I just need to say, I want this specific beer, as opposed to letting her pick. Jake, how about uh, yourself? You, you, you can be taught. Um, I am, you know, it's funny you mention it. I found a random uh, Michelob Ultra, which had been in the garage. Oh, God. Uh, which has since been put back in the fridge and chilled down. Okay. So I have that waiting for me. Um, but before getting to that, uh, I, I made some boat drinks earlier this week. Uh, Scotty, your family and mine engaged in some long-distance, uh, socially distant porch drinks this week. I'm trying to burn my way through the, the rest of the pineapple juice and, and rum that is in my house. Um, so a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But I, if you I, hear me keel over, it's the... It's the not consistently cold, uh, cold Michelob Ultra that did it to me. Yeah, I, I'm surprised. Uh, so, having, you, having you over there uh, last night, um, I was surprised how picky your wife was about her coconut rum. Well, she, uh, she feels very strongly about things. And if you're interested in seeing what we are drinking on a weekly basis, please come join us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. Let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Jake, why don't you go ahead and take the first one? All right. This first one comes to us from Fox Sports MLB. They, of course, tweet at MLB on Fox. On this day in 2006, Orioles, let's walk Miggy. Miggy, nah. This, of course, is a video of the Orioles trying and failing in classic Orioles Dark Ages style to intentionally walk Miguel Cabrera and, uh, of, of course, instead of the Detroit Tigers, Cabrera, I believe this was with the Miami Marlins at the time. And, of course, uh, Miguel Cabrera uh, waited for the pitch and hit it into center field, showing that the Orioles couldn't even give up effectively. Ah, uh, classic memories. Classic, classic dark ages memories. Jake, why don't you go ahead and take the next tweet as well? Well, the next one comes to us from Locked On Orioles, uh, another fine Orioles podcast, and this hits at the heartstrings. Wait, 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 wait. Yes. Jake, Jake, Jake. If we're going to do this, we need to do this right. You know what time it is. What time is it? That's right, Jake. It's time for the Adam Jones Watch. Go ahead and take it away, Jake. <laughs> all right yes our new nbp team is the oryx buffaloes and they've started their season zero and two but adam jones went two for three with a single and a double for his first two hits in japan they are still orioles playing baseball in the world yeah that uh that tugs at the heartstrings adam jones we miss you yeah posting a 400 slugging percentage and a 364 on base percentage through three games this season yeah, uh, you know, 
a very large and and uh, instructive sample size. Have you ever been to the Nippon uh, Professional Baseball League's website? No. Am I missing out? Uh, let's just say that I have seen Little League sites uh, designed in a more um, more uh, sophisticated manner is the best way to describe it. It literally, I went to it and I'm like, I am sure this is a spam site. There's no question about it. But sure enough, um, it's the real site. So I don't quite understand what's going on here. (laughs) Well, I look forward to seeing a lot more uh, updates from Adam Jones. And again, I really just want highlights in, in a language I don't understand because I feel like the sheer emotion uh, with what I'm seeing, uh, will will convey the story. Our next tweet comes from Craig Calcaterra, and we here at Bird's Eye View know how big Craig is a fan of Field of Dreams, being one of his personal favorite baseball movies of all time. Um, so we wished him a happy Field of Dreams Day, um, you know, to celebrate Father's Day. And Craig wrote back to us, if I was Ray, each Father's Day, I'd go, I'd go to my dad's ghost, and before asking to have catch, I'd ask him, why he decided to shun his own son in favor of the memory of some long dead crooked ass baseball player. Fair. Well, he he loves this film. Uh, he's on on record for for loving this film, and uh, you know, good on him. I actually don't think Field of Dreams is that good a baseball movie, oh, but dagger. that's neither here nor there. Dagger, uh, Jake. The <laughs> last tweet that I want to go through. Well, it's not really a tweet. More so, it's a thread. Um, and it, and it starts with natural cats saying, I don't remember. I remember seeing B Rob in the Mitchell report and was devastated. And now I don't care even remotely. And I think this comes back to, um, the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire documentary that came out in, uh, in terms of how much steroid use was going on, but still how fun baseball was going on at that time. Um, and then Andrew Stedka and, uh, Skipjack Classic decided to kind of go back and forth about, um, you know, the aspects and, you know, benefits of B Rob. Um, and you know, there is a, someone throwing out the aspect of, uh, Robert Andino being a better, uh, second baseman for the Orioles than Brian Roberts and that he did more for the game. And, um, well, Andrew Stedka comes to the defense of Brian Roberts in Brian gave us Diana bird's eye view BAL knows what I'm talking about. Andrew Stedka wins his argument hands down. No questions asked. I, I can't. I can't understand the argument that Andino gave more than Brian Roberts. Like I just, I can't even. Many many arguments in baseball are dumb, but you look at it and you say, "Okay, yeah, I can see that." This is mm, that hurts me. That hurts you. Yeah, that hurts me. Like on the on the you know how much does this hurt chart? It's like a solid seven. I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Oh my goodness. It is a, a tough life that we live. And you know what? Um, you know, baseball is even tougher right now, Jake, let's go around and, and try to figure out what is going on with baseball and try to put some semblance of sanity, um, back to this whole thing. All right, Scotty, so let's talk about baseball. We've got baseball things to discuss, sort of. Uh, and let's let's start with the 2020 season. I mean, where where are we for uh, you know getting a 2020 season together? Uh, we're nowhere. Um, as of this evening, Major League Baseball's Players Association came back and they basically turned down a deal. Um, this thing has gone in every which direction. You know, we had talked about doing a podcast last Monday, and I said, you know what? Let's hold off on it. Let's see if we can do one mid-next week. Maybe then there'll be a resolution to the baseball season. Nope, not the case. Um, and then wednesday or so, it came out, and John Heyman was reporting, hey, the, everyone has an agreement. Um, you know, We're going to get baseball played. Everyone just needs to sign off on it. And then there started to be some, some murmuring of, well, the players aren't actually not super excited about it, so there's probably going to be a counterproposal. So in the matter of a few weeks, we went from 50 games to 80 games. Um, 
to then just tell us where and when. Um, then back to 60 games, then to 70 games, then to 60 games tonight. Uh, and now we're back to nothing. Um, and we're back to the point of uh, Rob Manfred is going to basically have to declare that a season is going to be played. But even that, who knows? I mean, Rob Manfred mentioned out on, on one of the ESPN specials that he 100% guaranteed there there would be a season. And then literally Oof. 24 hours later, he's just like, well, you know what? I'm not exactly sure if there's a 100% chance there's going to be a season this year. It is just absolutely mind-boggling um, how disastrous of a process this has all been. All right, let me, let me ask you a question. I don't know anything. I'm just a dumb guy on a dumb podcast. But has anybody offered 69 games? <laughs> so it's funny. When uh, when everyone was talking about 60 and 70 games in this counter-proposal, uh, everyone was just like, it would be hilarious if um, they came out with 69 games. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's, you know, we talked about this several weeks ago of, you know, blame and how this whole matter would come out and whether people would really, you know, turn away from the game. I, I have got to be honest, uh, you know, as an avid fan of baseball, this certainly is not helping me whatsoever. And I'm really struggling here. Um, you know, even as an individual that, you know, host a baseball podcast, it's really taxing on me to basically want to try to keep up with this whole nonsense. Um, and I'm just really frustrated with it. And it just seems like, uh, we're bantering about something that should be easy to solve. Um, but again, there seems to be a lot of sticking points in regards to the monetary situation, um, in terms of negotiations, getting ready for the CBA uh, that's coming up. Um, and we we're not even talking about you know the most important thing, which is you know COVID. You know we've had numerous you know upticks within Texas and Florida um, that is just waiting to rear its ugly head. Yeah, I um, I mean I really miss baseball. I I do. I miss baseball a lot. But I, I got to be honest with you, I'm just I'm just not convinced that a a season of 69 games or any other number can be played safely. I'm not convinced that a, a baseball season, which will be meticulously, uh, you know, negotiated out, won't get started and then stopped due to, you know, player safety or public health um, concerns. And, you know, maybe maybe that's pessimism on my part, but I almost wonder if baseball and the players uh, – I almost said greed, so let me walk that back. If the inability for the players and baseball to get together and figure this out, maybe it's actually a good thing in this particular instance. Am, am I being a ninny about that? Am I, am I overreacting? I don't think you're being a ninny. Um, I, I think you're probably right that, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, the season is probably not going to reach, um, you know, its full aspect. Um, I think everyone is just bracing for the next outbreak. Um, you know, I, I went to the beach um, and it was amazing to see how many people were at the beach um, this early in the season. And a part of me is wondering now, I'm like, I wonder if everyone's just trying to get out of the house before the next quarantine hits for the next two to three months. And there is no ability to get out of the house. Mm -hmm. Um and, you know, I think it's an, an interesting, you know, proposition back to that. You know, the vote that was held tonight um, was, you know, 60 games, expanded playoffs, DH, um, but no ability for um, the Major League Baseball Players Association to come back and, and sue um, for, you know, you know, collusion that may be occurring on the owners, ownership part um, to try to kind of minimize these games. So. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to end up in a situation where um, it's almost like a, a trench warfare where we've got two sides in the trenches and they're waiting it out, as it were. And then ultimately, both sides end up dying due to influenza or typhoid or, you know, some kind of like, you know, trench fever, as it were. Um, and it's it feels like the game is slowly dying at this point. It's always a, a good sign when when you know World War One uh, trench fever comes up. I, I think that's that's a sign of a good situation. Listen, if the Baltimoreans I, are not going to be here, I'm going to do my best <laughs> to be like Sam and Allen and bring up World War One and, uh, and and famine and disease. Okay. 
uh, I wonder how truly damaging these negotiations are going to be to the CBA or if it's the type of deal where, you know, once the microscope is off, you know, whether there's a season or there isn't, you know, come 2021, you know, if they can return to baseball as what would have been normal, you know, if they'll just say, hey, look, that was a that was a crazy time. Let's just, you know, set negotiations back to, uh, you know, to stun, so to speak. I, I don't see it happening, but uh, but I do wonder what the lasting impact of negotiations are going to be on this particular um, topic. Because the thing is, is that in in a normal setting, I would say there's simply too much money to be made in baseball to screw this up. And, and the other thing is that there's too much money in baseball to be made, you know, instead of screwing this up, particularly after losing money hand over fist in 2020. Right. Like baseball and its players will have a very recent and real example of what not making money on baseball feels like after this season. Um, You would think that they would be able to get it together for the next CBA. Yeah. um, And and coming back to the whole CBA, I don't think there is anything here that is going to impact in a positive or negative light in terms of CBA. We knew the CBA was going to be. Um, have an aggressive tone to it. You know, the players ultimately were not happy with the revenue splits that were occurring. Um, obviously, you know, some of the aspects in terms of, um, you know, players having lower um, salaries being offered to them um, during free agency. And I'm not talking about superstar players, but, you know, we've seen a majority of players, like there's no reason that Adam Jones, for example, should be in Japan right now playing. Like Adam Jones should still be able to get, you know, four to $6 million to play in major league baseball. Um, but again, you know, ownership is, you know, not willing to put that money out for the, um, we'll call it role players is the best way to put it. Um, maybe not superstars, but role players. Um, but again, we knew this fight was going to happen. I feel like this is much more of a, um, you know, two guys and their, their hot rods and they're basically trying to flex off, but they don't want to actually start the race. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, 2020 baseball, we're nowhere. Uh, no, we're, yeah, we're nowhere. Um, you know, I would assume, but again, I've made assumptions this whole time that an agreement is going to come about, but at this point, who knows? And Jake, I completely agree with you. I feel like even when the season starts, which I believe today they said that it wouldn't start until the very end of July, I think it was July 27th was thrown out you're looking at starting games in August in reality, it just screams, you know, outbreak occurring in August and September based off of, um, you know, all the numbers that we're starting to see uptick in certain States that reopened early. Um, and, and even some of the States that are having good numbers occur now. Um, I just wonder if it's going to be a matter where in four to six weeks, the numbers are going to start trickling back up again and it's going to be pointless. Well, you know, I would, I would uh, hate to say that uh, baseball is, you know, being greedy is, you know, clearly just making a, a money grab. So let's talk about Major League Baseball being greedy and making a money grab. Uh, <laughs> they're at it again. They are flirting with the idea of jersey advertisements. And Scott, I, I feel many ways about this, but let me ask you if, if this has anything to it. Do you think that they are talking about this now as a way to, you know, kind of leave it and take out the trash day, you know, so whereas the news is just overcome by all the other things going on? Or do you think that this is a way to, you know, plug a, a small hole or, a, you know, try to try to plug the gaping hole that is in the financial losses of 2022 or I think, 2020. I think this is a way to make a little extra money um, to plug a, a little bit of a, a gap, as it were, um, that is present in certain teams' budgets. But you got to know that once it's there, Pandora's box is all the way open, right? They can't yeah, say, oh, right. we're going to do this for 20 and 21, and then in 2022 they're going to say, oh, we're done with that revenue stream. We're, we're okay with not making that money now. No, I agree with you. I mean, it would be, it would be, it's going to be interesting if they end up doing this, um, because I do believe this is part of the agreement that they were making as per the 60, uh, 60 game deal. So I'm not sure if now, if it's completely off the table, but, um, it'd be interesting to see, like, if a team like the Yankees, who again have a historical jersey, 
um, would even give consideration to putting something um, on their jerseys or they're just like, you know what? No amount of money is worth it to do so. Um, but I could see a team like the Athletics or the Rays um, easily coming back and doing this. The Orioles, maybe. But, you know, if you're looking for money like that, I would be looking probably more at teams that, in essence, have sold stadium rights. Um, right. More so than, than before anything else. But, um, yeah, I, I think certain teams are going to do it. Certain teams are not going to do it. But I can't imagine it's going to be much more than maybe a few million dollars, like maybe three or four million dollars. Well, you know, I, I'm, I don't know what a good comparison it is, but the NBA went and did this, what, back in 2017? And they've made something like $150 million. Really? That's wow, happened. that's unbelievable. Um, and, and the crazy thing about it is that at, um, I don't know anything about the NBA, so take this with a grain of salt. But I believe that the way that it works is that there is like a split between the league and the players and that the league split is split between the, the individual team and then revenue sharing, mm. right? And so the the, the team itself, um, you know, doesn't take all that that profit to the bank. I, I wonder though, like, you know, what what would the market for baseball games be? Because you know, it's 162 games. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of exposure. Yeah, so we're thinking like Jamba Juice for the for the Blue Jays is what you're telling me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you're you're well, right. I mean, it it comes back to you know if you're going to promote your brand the entire season, it's really got to be a brand that you know needs that publicity nonstop all the time. You know, it's one thing to see you know an advertisement behind home plate every once in a while, but to see it every single day, every single cut, every single shot, it's got to be in essence, a pretty big player, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the Orioles. I, I think you're right that the Orioles aren't a slam dunk because they, they haven't sold off the naming rights to one of the most beautiful parks in, in baseball. Um, but what would be good Jersey advertising partners for the Baltimore Orioles? It's interesting because, uh, I mean, we've talked about this before, maybe not on this podcast, but, um, you know, in private, but, you know, you take a look at the Fortune 500, even Fortune 1000 companies that that are in the Baltimore area, I don't know if there's actually a good fit. Um, You know, I think you're probably looking at something like, um, you know, an InBev or an Anheuser-Busch or something like that more so than anything else. But I don't know if there's a really good local company fit. So I have I have two thoughts about okay. this. All right. Well, no, no. Let me let me get there. I'm going to work my way up to two thoughts. Um, clearly, you know, some of the bigger uh, employers here in Maryland, um, you know, one of which would be, let's say, McCormick, right? So I, it would be nice to see something like that. Obviously, Under Armour, but I, I you know, with their existing deals, I don't know yeah. if they'd be allowed to do that. But here, here's where I'd like to go with this: another very large Maryland employer. Sinclair Broadcasting. Mm. And so if we're already going to make a deal with the devil to sell ads in uh, on our jerseys, why not Sinclair? Yeah. I just don't know if like um you know McCormick is certainly a big company, you know, they're they're right there in that kind of right around 500 um area from a Fortune 500, but like if the patches are really going and you said 150 million dollars for the entire league for the NBA, um you know that's going to be what five to ten million dollars per patch like i can't imagine mccormick has five to ten million dollars worth of extra marketing budget um that they wouldn't be putting to a more proactive cause i mean that's a lot of money that they're gonna have to be turning back around to get a profit margin off of i mean i mean their profit margin is gonna be 10 percent. that means they would have to sell an additional 50 million dollars worth of product um, well, you know, and, and you're right, but you also assume that, you know, a spot on the New York Yankees jersey would be just as valuable as a spot on sure. the Baltimore Orioles jersey. Valid point, valid point. I'm just saying that, you know, that's when we start thinking about it. It's just like it's going to have to be someone pretty big um, in order to do it. Um, you know, Coca-Cola or someone like that could be another one. But it's going to have yeah. to be almost like a, a top 100 or top 200 company in order to do it. And like I said, I can't think of a good company in the Maryland area. And again, this is, this is a proverbial issue with the Baltimore metropolitan area, which is 
there aren't a ton of these big companies, which also comes back and affects the whole sweet pricing that is occurring too um, for Orioles games going forward. All right. Last thing I'll say about this. Okay. We've, we've said that the Orioles, you know, haven't, haven't sold the name, uh, naming rights for Canyon Yards. Clearly, you know, they, they go about business a little bit differently. Uh, what about this? Major League Baseball makes a deal with the devil. They say, that's it. We're, se- we're selling ads. I'm sure there are some com- or some teams that would either be slow to do it or maybe would refuse to do it. What if teams gave that away to charities? It's hmm. interesting, right? yeah. Advertising for, you know, the Maryland Food Bank or the American Red Cross or anything else that may need some resources right now in a, in a troubled world. Kind of an interesting concept of what you do with that ad space. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, like a Boys and Girls Club. Barks could be another one, too, for like pet adoption and stuff like that. I- interesting idea. I, I don't know if it would bring the same kind of revenue draw. But again, I also don't know how much a revenue draw really does for stadium names. Like, um, you know, back when, um, you know, Raven Stadium used to be called, what was it called? Um, PSI Net. Thank you, PSI Net. Um, I, I certainly wasn't like, well, I have to go sign up for PSI Net because the Ravens named their stadium that. I was just like, all right, PSI Net, like, that's fine. But it was just more brand recognition more so than anything else. So, again, that kind of comes back to the McCormick standpoint. Like, does McCormick need brand recognition um, at this given time in in the given marketplace? I don't know. All right. Uh, listeners, by the way, let us know who we've missed. Who do you expect to see on the patches in the orange and black? And don't say Natty Bo or Paps. That's a that's a dumb idea. Like they don't have the money, and it's not in terms of their business plan. So as much as you would like to see a, a winking uh, winking man uh, on it, uh, it's not going to happen, folks. Move on. I love how you just yelled at them for the prospect of saying dumb things after you listened to all the things that I just said. Listen, I, <laughs> I, I'm here to snuff it out before it happens because I know one of you is going to be like, we should put the Natty Bow logo. No. Like, if the Natty Bow logo and Paps wanted to do something with it, they would do something with it big. It's not in their business model. So it's not going to happen for the monetary value that, that Jake just mentioned. I'm just saying, you have a, a high tolerance for dumb on this podcast. I do have anyway. a high tolerance for dumb, <laughs> right. but I'm snuffing out the dumb before it comes further into in into our, our DMs. All right. So uh, MLB is uh, unable to get themselves together with the players. They're uh, trying to sell out. Uh, let's, let's talk about something a little more local here. Uh, the Orioles just completed their draft since the last time uh, we met here for the podcast. It was a five-round draft. Uh, you know, the Orioles surprised by taking uh, Heston Kerstad, and, and I'll tell you what I know about this player. I know that his name looks difficult to pronounce, and outside of that, you know, I'm clearly no expert. But uh, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about the draft. Um, I was very surprised in the fact that, it, you know, the, the Orioles did not go the way everybody thought they would. Um and I was also surprised that it was so heavy on uh, position players. Um, and, and, you know, we talked a little bit about this um, before the draft. You know, last year was also heavy on position players. And, uh, you know, the, the common thinking at the time was, oh, well, you know, maybe this draft is a little weak in, in pitching. I, I don't know if this is just a, a result of where they are in the, you know, in the slot order or what. But this is either a strategy by the Elias regime to say, you know, we, we think we like where we are with some of the arms in the system. So let's go stock up on on some good bats. Or it could, you know, simply just be, hey, we're going to go get the best ball players we can get regardless. But if there's strategy, you know, I'm really interested to see what that says about where the organization is with this rebuild. I mean, what what did you think about the draft, just in general? So it's interesting. Um, when the when the draft came out, I was sitting sitting there watching the draft, and uh, I hear Kerstad's name come across, and I said, "God dang it!" And it was per the first time um, during the Elias regime that I said, "I don't like this move. I don't like this move at all." I was fully convinced that Austin Martin was going to be their guy. Um, I just was just like, what are they doing? Like, 
something happened or someone decided to get a little too cute and you know why are we getting heston kerstad like yeah great he's got power but the other aspect is like you watch him and you hear reports of him having like you know great power but swing and miss potential too he improved last year um there was a thought that he was going to be player of the year this year in the sec but again who knows because there was no season so again, certainly an underslot move. You know, Kerstad was forecast to be you know somewhere the, to the eighth to tenth pick. So again, not you know super underslot, but uh, definitely an underslot. Um, but one of those ones, I'm just like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. What are they doing? Um, so everyone is talking during the draft, and you know, I'm looking at you know getting ready for round two and i'm like all right they're gonna go get someone that they really want they're gonna go get a really good pitcher um that would have been tough to sign um and i know there was one that was drafted by the rays uh before the orioles did and then the Orioles come back and get just jordan westberg at shortstop which again kind of like a meh move um maybe a little underslot again it's just like oh my god like what are they doing like they haven't taken you know i would say a truly like impact player that you're like, I really wanted that person. Um, you know, Haskin gets signed, Servideo gets signed. Again, decent players. Um, but I think it's when, you know, they started to get to folks like Kobe Mayo and then specifically Carter Balmer that I was just like, okay, I kind of get what you're doing now, where it's the aspect of we're going to go out and take the shotgun approach and go out and get some really solid players. Like Balmer was an individual that was going to TCU um, and pretty much was fully guaranteed that he was going to go to TCU no matter what. Um, and the Orioles offered him like a million dollars over slot. And he has basically come back and said, yep, we're, we're in agreement already. It was almost like everybody was already in agreement. And I'm sure there's still a few details being worked out, but it, it, it almost seemed like, if they could have worked out an agreement with Austin Martin, they would have done so. But since they couldn't come to an agreement with Austin Martin and they didn't know what their slot money looked like, they didn't want to risk only signing three of the five players um, out of this draft. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, first of all, I have to say I'm almost glad that we didn't get Austin Martin because I would invariably have made the mistake of calling him Aston Martin <laughs> frequently, like throughout his career. Um, so that saves me a lot of embarrassment. The, the other thing that I think is interesting is that, like, you know, when, when Elias arrives, you know, everybody is just thrilled. You know, he's he's one of the magicians that remade uh, Houston and he was involved in in, you know, the winning in in St. Louis. And we've got Sig and, you know, we, we've got the we've got the stat nerds and we've got the scouting and we've got everything. We're going to find, you know, we're going to find things that other clubs can't see. Um, you know, and so last year, like it was a no brainer. You take Rushman, that's, that's the best player available. But I, I just wonder, like, you know, with the second, with the second pick in the draft, you know, if you don't just go chalk because it's, because the chalk is good or, you know, do we buy into the whole, you know, these guys know what they're doing, even if it's a little, uh, you know, under the radar type of deal, because we're still going to get good players. Uh, I don't know. I, I was with you that I was very surprised uh, by Kerstad. And I got to be honest, when I hear, you know, oh, the best left-handed hitting power uh, in the draft with uh, swing and, and miss potential, I think to myself, we, we already got a guy like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think the biggest thing that concerns me is like I, I, I don't particularly mind the shotgun approach. Um, I think what concerns me most is if you have a top five draft pick, um, you need to be shooting for a superstar. Um, you need to be shooting for, for an all-star at least. And when I look at Kerstad, I don't know if necessarily I see an all-star. I, I see a, potentially a good player, but I don't know if I see an all-star. Whereas when I look at Austin Martin, I look at him and I say, that's an individual that could easily be a superstar. Obvious questions still has to do a lot of player development, but the talent seems to be there where he could become a, a quickly an all-star. And again, seeing him picked up by the Blue Jays too is just one of those things that just irks me um, because I just know that he's going to get into the Homer Dome and just, you know, crush it in there. So I don't know. Like I said, it's 
I'm not completely against this draft. I've seen much, many worse drafts by the Baltimore Orioles. No doubt about that. Matt Hoggood. Uh, there's been other ones too, but like DJ Stewart and stuff like that. But I, I will come back and say this was not my favorite draft. Um, it would also say it's not my least favorite. I, I give it a solid B. Um, whereas last year, my draft for the Orioles was, you know, A plus. Like they knocked it out of the park. Um, this year, I'm a little bit more mild mannered and, Again, uh, not as happy. No, I understand that. You're afraid that the Orioles picked a really, you know, nice Ford Mustang instead of getting themselves in, into an Aston Martin. It's it's uh, understandable. Yeah. I just feel like if you're going to play poker, you got to play aggressive as opposed to being like and check and check and check and just continually to lose your chips in the, as part of the process. Fair enough. All right, hey, last uh, last baseball thing I want to talk about. The Orioles, again, since last we left our heroes and we were together here on the podcast, the Orioles made a commitment that they're going to pay their minor leaguers through September 7th. They're apparently giving them a 400 a week uh, stipend, and they will continue that not only through the end of July or the end of June when they had uh, committed to earlier, but they're going to do that right through when the season was supposed to, the minor league season was supposed to end on September 7th. So, look, you know, giving players 1600 bucks. A month, you know, does not necessarily fill me with glee. You know, that's comes out to something like uh, a total of twenty thousand a year if it were to be a uh, you know over the whole fifty-two weeks. But again, um, looking at you know what we said on on you know the the first show that we did this, sure, this isn't enough. But are they continuing to do the right things? And I'll say, you know, paying players rather than not is probably better than not. What do you think? This is the right thing to do. Um, we can get into the whole, you know, argument once again of, you know, how much should minor league baseball be pit, be played. Mm-hmm. But again, this is what they should be doing. Um, so they're not going to receive any, you know, backlash from me, just like, you know, we gave to the Nationals a few weeks ago. Um I think this is perfectly fine. I think this is a good move by the Baltimore Orioles. I think this is the necessary move. I think this is what good organizations are doing to maintain um, good relationship with their minor league baseball players. Um, I think this is what smart, smart organizations are doing. Again, it is a drop in the bucket um, considering the amount of money it, it comes out to be at the end of the year. So, yeah, any major league baseball franchise should be doing this in a heartbeat. You know how they could pay for this. How's that with patches? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's going to be an interesting, um, you know, coming out of this draft. You know, we're starting to see some unrestricted free agents uh, come off and now, you know, be signed by the Baltimore Orioles coming off this draft. And of course, we know that, um, you know, you can't offer more than $20,000 um, for this. Um, Major League Baseball also came out um, a few days after the draft. Um, and apparently there was, you know, a few teams are doing the, we're going to offer you $20,000. Oh, and by the way, we're also going to offer you additional money for you to go back to school to finish your degree. Um, so kind of an incentive on top of your $20,000, um, which is interesting because I don't know how many baseball players would actually do that. But it's interesting to see certain teams try to, to skirt the issue. Um, I believe the Orioles have signed seven players as of this given time. But, you know, looking at, you know, round six through 10, you know, the average signing bonus for most of those players was like around $150,000. And you've got players here now settling for $20,000. So again, when I when I talk to people and they're like, yeah, well, you know, they're making ten dollars to $20,000 per year uh, per, per their stipend. But, you know, they, they signed a great signing bonus. And I'm like, well, most of the folks are going to be signing a pretty crappy signing bonus. And they're like, yeah, but Rutschman signed. I was like, Rutschman's one person out of, you know, you know, hundreds of people in the minors. Like, you can't pick out one person to basically say that represents all of minor league baseball. Um, all right, stop. Are you telling me that anecdotal evidence isn't good enough? Uh, believe it or not, um, even though that has become the cultural norm, anecdotal evidence is not enough. But, you know, Jake, uh, anecdotal evidence probably should be dived deeper into because sometimes there's a, you know, a stray thread that needs to be pulled on in order for us to underco- uncover the true um, mysteries that abound in this world. Um, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and uh, you know try to give some perspective on the reality that is this world.
Alright, I don't know if it's just me, but it seems to me like this world is more and more vulnerable to crazy conspiracy theories. I, I don't know if it's social media, if it's our degraded trust in traditional media and government agencies, but, but people are seemingly more and more willing to wear the tinfoil hat than ever before. I mean, think about it this way. In a time when our species has more knowledge than ever before and, and has a greater ability to communicate that knowledge than, than ever before, more widely than ever, we choose purposefully to know less. You might say that these are not indeed the dark ages, but rather the dumb ages. And so that's something we can get behind here at Bird's Eye View. So let us contribute to the, magna, uh, the madness. I would like, Scott, to throw out a few of these conspiracy theories and see if we can get them to stick. Let's let's call this conspiracy theory theater. All right, let's let's go for it. Let's let's go down the rabbit hole. All right, let's let's um, let's stick with current events. All right, some things that are going on right now. Here's my first conspiracy theory for you. Okay, a small group of baseball owners is secretly trying to save the human race by killing the 2020 baseball season, right? We talked about Manfred not being able to simply, uh, you know, by fiat, create a season. And I think there's a reason. Concerned for the health and safety of players and the general public, a group of, let's call it, eight to ten owners have gone rogue. And this group is blocking all efforts by the commissioner to deliver an augmented 2020 season. These owners who have taken to calling themselves Fauci's army have been uh, in communication and in collusion with the Players Association and have hired an entire staff of Internet trolls who are using their powers for good instead of evil by packaging real medical facts in sensational all caps tweets. I like it. I like it a lot. So, Jake, mine's also going to be a little bit more uh, of a recent one, and I've been giving this a lot of thought. Um, so, Jake, I'm not sure if you, if you saw the most recent articles that have come out, but there is a recent journal article that came out in the Physics of Fluid this past week um, indicating that coronavirus can be spread by aerosol spray once a toilet has been flushed. So this got me to thinking along the ways of, what are some ways that coronavirus could have been spread at the very beginning of this precipice? What could have turned this into a global pandemic? And I thought to myself, there's probably no better way than to spread aerosol poop particles into the air than by banging on a trash can in order to <laughs> spread it out. So I'm here to propose that uh, the Houston Astros not only cheated their way into, um, you know, many victories, as it were, at home. But in similar due course, they also helped to spread a plethora of poop particles that potentially contained coronavirus, thus bringing the deadly disease to American soil. So it's now the, the Hugh flu. Uh, absolutely. Hey, Jake, do you have an active subscription to Physics of Fluids? I do not. I do not have an active subscription I'm, to the physics. That, that is a shame because you could le read all about uh, respiratory droplets and virus-laden feces at your pleasure. I'll tell you what, though. If you're looking for a uh, an off-the-wall gift idea for me, subscription to uh, the uh, physics of fluids is a good one. I, I think that if everybody would just go and buy the journal article where it's physics of fluids and just put that in there for like, their bathroom reading material – so that when your guests came over, they're like, well, what do we have there for a magazine? Ah, oh, the physics of fluids. <laughs> it's perfect bathroom reading. <laughs> I have to be honest. This is not where I thought this discussion was going to go. <clears throat> All right. Are that you saying that I turned out a little <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's worth the beep. Um, All right. That's, a, that's an excellent conspiracy, Scott. Uh, but... I want to get more serious here. And, you know, we we discussed the Adam Jones watch earlier in the program, and I'd like to go back to it. You know, fans like, like ourselves have expressed a certain sadness 
that Adam Jones is no longer a member of the Baltimore Orioles. But what if I told you that Adam never left Orioles employment? What? It is simply impossible to admit, too impossible to even dream that the team would part ways with one of its most prominent members that helped bring this organization out of obscurity, out of the dark ages, and simply just kick him to the curb? No. No. Adam Jones is more a part of this team than ever. And frankly, he's doing what the Orioles are now legally barred from doing. That's right. He's scouting in Asia. Yes. As the organization's eyes and ears in Japan and, you know, maybe elsewhere on the continent, Jones is identifying the talent that will help bring the Orioles into the next glory years. Oh, sure, the buckle-up birds were great, but we are now looking far, far beyond that. And so, utilizing a series of message drops and tape on lamppost signals directly out of the books of former Orioles ownership partner Tom Clancy, Adam Jones is doing his part to truly make Birdland great again. You know, it's odd that you say that, too, because do you know what um, Adam Jones' number is in the MPB? Is it not 10? No, it's 38. In What's ref- 38? In reference to the 38th parallel between North and South Korea. <laughs> I'm really really sorry. (laughs) All right. Look, guys, let's be serious about this. This is conspiracy theory theater, and this is important. So, you know, while there's no baseball to talk about, give it your best shot. Throw a tweet out there. Just put it out into the ether of the Internet, any crazy story you feel like, and just see if you can get some traction on it. Again, um, especially if you're Australian. (laughs) (laughs) If if you can, uh, you know, associate a really dank meme with it, uh, there's a much better chance of it of it catching on. If the tweet is in all caps, it's clearly uh, going to be be remembered. But the thing is, if it makes no sense whatsoever, that's when you've really got the magic. So hit us hard with your conspiracy theory theater, and and let us know uh, what what's really going on out there. <sighs> Well, with that, let's go ahead and close this thing out by blowing the save. Scotty, did you enjoy your Father's Day this year? Uh, It was okay. How about you? I had a had a good Father's Day. It was pretty quiet. We didn't, uh, you know, do a whole lot other than just hang out as a, a family unit. Um, but you know, I'm not huge on on gifts for you know birthdays and Father's Day and things like that. But I did get uh, quite an excellent gift from from my family this year. Henry, uh, my nine year old son, put this together, and he said, "You know, Dad is not really." Uh, a big fan of autographs, right? He doesn't really care about autographs. Um, but he talked to uh, talked to the rest of the family, dug a ball out of the garage, and got it signed by what he referred to as my favorite team. So now sitting on a display case in my office is a ball signed by my son, daughter, and wife. And I got to tell you, it's about the cutest thing I have ever seen. Uh, so it was a... It was a fine Father's Day, and again, one of those those moments that reminds you that uh, you know baseball and and the joy of baseball is truly truly a family affair. So, uh, you know, we we were talking off mic earlier today about you know missing baseball, and I uh, you know I got a a warm reminder of that this weekend for Father's Day. Well, that's really nice. So, Jake, uh, in the time that we started this podcast um, to this point now. Uh, the Major League Baseball has now come back and has now agreed that they're going to do a 60-game schedule for the remainder of the year. So you're telling it? 
You're saying that all it took was for us to put a podcast together to ruin our show. Uh, no, I'm just saying that they say now they do have an agreement, even though it will probably change in the next 24 hours. <laughs> 24 hours. That's that's pretty long. Don't you mean the next few minutes? Uh, it's definitely a possibility. But uh, yeah, this is just a comical uh, situation um, and completely absurd of everything that's going about. So. The report that's coming out now is MLB announces that they impose a, a schedule based on the March 26th agreement. Players will need to report to camp by July 1st, and that games will be starting at the end of July. So, yeah, absolute insanity. That is Major League Baseball. Well, great. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Birds Eye View is available wherever it is you get your podcast these days. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback, unlike Major League Baseball, and encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Please be safe out there. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.